Welcome to Do the Dang Thing. Today we're going to be talking about my first birth story. It is not the best story. It's a little traumatizing, so trigger warning, it might be difficult to hear. But we're going to be talking about things I wish I had known back then that I know now that could have helped my situation maybe potentially be a little bit easier and better. Doula Dang Thing podcast is not meant for medical advice. If you have a medical condition, please contact your care provider. Hi, everyone. It's your birth coach, Ashley. Today, I'm here all alone. Natasha's out of town, and I decided it'd be a good time to talk about my first birth and just give you the rundown on that and put a positive spin on it by teaching you what I wish I would have known back then that I didn't and that I know now. This might be difficult to hear, especially if you're pregnant or have experienced a difficult or traumatic birthing experience. I'm telling this story not to scare anyone or make anyone feel bad, but to show that education is so important and to show that when you know more, it can be possible to make things better. My story in particular did not turn out bad in the long run. I know that's not everybody's experience. I'm very well aware of that. Um, But my daughter is absolutely perfect. She was born at 26 weeks and uh, she ended up not having very many issues and all the issues she did have were fixed with surgery or um, lasers and things like that. So, and as far as developmentally, she she has developed great And she gets straight A's and she's super tall and beautiful and perfect. And I never in my wildest dreams would have imagined that happening based on her birth story. Like I said, I know that's not the case for everyone. But I will say that there are so many advancements in the care of preemie babies. It's really amazing what they can do. They can do so many things, surgeries on these little tiny guys, like they can just do all kinds of things. So there is hope if you are dealing with a preterm labor situation and just stick with it. I'm here if you ever want to talk or vent or, you know, if you need advice or anything like that, you can reach me on Instagram at supported underscore season and I'm happy to be there for you and support you in whatever way I can. Preterm labor is when you give birth before 37 weeks gestation. The age of viability right now, I believe, is around 21 weeks to 24 weeks, depending on your hospital's capabilities. That means that if your baby was born, they have a chance of survival. If you're past that time, congrats. You made it. Your baby has a chance of survival even if they're born early. We're going to go over some tips uh, to make sure that if you feel like you're in preterm labor, you're going to know the signs and symptoms and you're going to get to the hospital ASAP because if you get to the hospital early, there's a chance that they can stop your labor from happening and you can continue on to have a very healthy and normal pregnancy. So I'm going to tell you my story. Don't be scared. It's okay. We're going to get through it and um, just know that in my situation, it, it turned out okay. It was a really, really hard time the hardest time of my life. Um, and it was really scary, but everything did turn out okay. So I'm going to tell you my story now, and then we're going to go over, uh, what to look for, what to know, what you need to, to, 
be on the lookout for to avoid preterm labor. Okay, so let's rewind back to when I found out I was pregnant. We had been trying for not too terribly long. I mean, it felt like eternity because when you really, really want a baby, any month that goes by, it's like, ugh, why? So it felt like forever, but looking back, I really don't think it was that long. And we, I found out I was pregnant. I took a test when my husband was at work because I thought, okay, yeah, I'll just take one, like no big deal. I can handle it. And it turned out positive like immediately and I, I panicked. I was running around the house with my pants around my ankles, literally like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I called my mom and I'm like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? And I was panicking. Even though I really wanted the baby, it was just like a really intense feeling. I was so excited to be pregnant. Even though I didn't feel good, I loved it. I loved having that baby in there. I loved feeling that protective feeling over them. I loved feeling like I was doing something cool with my body, like I was growing a human being. It felt so awesome, and I really enjoyed it, and I know that's not everybody's uh, feelings around pregnancy, but that was mine, and and it's not like I, I felt too bad, so it made it easier to enjoy it, but it was just like such a cool time, and I, we were just so excited. I was super careful, too. I remember I... I mean, I used zero chemicals. I used zero fragrance. Like I was just super duper careful about what I ate and what I was around and what I, you know, put in my body. No caffeine, no nothing. Well, one night I was laying in bed and we were just watching TV. My husband was asleep because I was, I've, I've always been a night owl. So I was up watching TV in our room and um, I couldn't sleep. It was particularly late even for me. And I just couldn't go to sleep. I just felt uncomfortable. And I felt like, I felt kind of like I had diarrhea. So I kept trying to like go to the bathroom, but nothing would come out. I called my mom and it was, it was probably like two in the morning. I was like, yeah, I just, you know, I keep feeling like I have diarrhea, but nothing comes out. And like the feeling, you know, keeps kind of coming and going and you know, clearly those were contractions. At that time, I didn't know that a contraction could feel like a stomach cramp. I thought it was going to feel like something else. And also diarrhea is a sign that your labor is about to start, whether it comes out or not. So if you have diarrhea, talk to your doctor, make sure that it's just a stomach bug. Um, you might want to go get checked out just in case, depending on what you and your care provider decide. But that was, that was the first signs that I had. Then this, the feelings kept coming and going and coming and going. And my mom said, okay, well, let's just talk. And you tell me when you're feeling the, the pains. And of course, she was counting my contractions. She was timing them. And they were coming pretty frequently. And looking back, had I known what that feeling was, I would have gone immediately because the earlier you go, the easier it is for them to stop the contractions. They use medications and different things like that to help keep the baby in. 
And they'll typically give medications to help the baby's lungs develop, help them to mature faster, so that way if they are born early, they have a higher chance of survival. The longer you have for those meds to kick in, the better. So if you go early and they can get those meds in your system, then there's a better chance that they will benefit your baby. So I didn't know that. So I stayed in my house and I was like, wow, what's going on with my stomach? It's so weird. Then my mom's like, yeah, I think you should go to the hospital. So I wake up my husband and he's kind of like, are you sure? Like, cause I was a worrier. I'm like, yeah, we really need to go. Well, on the way to the hospital, my pain started getting really, really intense and close together. And so we got there. I thought, oh, I can walk in. It's fine. Well, walking in, I felt so much pain. I was doubled over and I just thought, oh no, this is not good. And my heart sank. And I knew what was happening at that moment once I couldn't even walk without being in so much pain. So they had a security guard bring me a wheelchair because my husband was parking the car. I was like, yeah, just go park. I'll be fine. You know, trying to be like, I don't know, cool or superwoman or something, which looking back, I wish I would have not tried to be that way. But you live and you learn. Anyway, so then I'm wheeled into the hospital, into triage, and the nurse checks me, and she, her, I'll never forget her face, her eyes got really, really wide, and she says, you're six centimeters dilated, and your back is bulging, meaning the amniotic sac is bulging out, meaning, you know, it's likely that it will rupture soon. And that my baby is coming out. So they tried to give me medication to make everything kind of relax. Well, I was already like some labor is like a freight train sometimes. Once it gets going, it's really, really hard to stop. It's much easier to stop in the beginning, like we talked about a second ago. But I was so far, I was in active labor. I was not in, in early labor or pre-labor. I was in active preterm labor. So early labor and pre-labor are different than pre-term labor. Pre-term, like we said, is before 37 weeks. Pre-labor is like kind of before your labor starts. Early labor is, you know, early on when things are not exactly consistent and you're kind of only, you know, early on in the dilation phase. And then once you get to like five or six centimeters dilated and things start to become more frequent and more regular, that's active labor. So I was in full-blown active labor, like they tried to stop it, this baby was coming. So anyway, when she told me how far dilated I was, I started crying and she snapped at me, don't cry. I was like, okay. She's like, if you cry, your baby is going to come out because when you cry, you know, you put pressure on your abdomen and it kind of pushes baby down. So I was sitting there trying to remain calm, dealing with contractions, not knowing what was going to happen. And at that moment, I really realized the severity of the situation. Not that I hadn't already, but that was like a huge wake up call. Like, okay, your baby might die. They might not be able to save my baby. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking about what's to come next, 
thinking about the fear of the pain of labor, thinking about the fear of my baby not even surviving labor, not knowing what is my future, what does my future look like? My future that I planned with this baby in my arms, taking care of them, feeding them, loving them, holding them, rocking them. What is going to come next? Because I didn't know. I had no idea what that looked like. I didn't know how they were going to save her. I didn't know if they could even save her. All I had was what I was given from, you know, those baby center apps where they tell you what your baby looks like and your baby's this big and this is what's growing in your baby. And I thought, she doesn't know how to breathe. She's super small. How big is she? Like, what is she going to look like? What does a baby that small even look like? And all of these things are racing through my mind. But I didn't have a choice. I was in labor and this baby was coming out. And so I kind of compartmentalized and I just did what I had to do. And was it terrifying? Of course. But like I said, I, I had no choice. Sometimes even as parents, when things are hard or going wrong, we don't have a choice and we just kind of do it. And we all have that strength within us, regardless of the situation, even when that situation is absolutely awful. I was starting to feel like it was time to push. I was feeling that pressure that um, she was starting to come out. And it wasn't a good feeling, obviously, because I really, really, really wanted her to stay in. And because she was so small and young, they had to do it in the OR. It had to be sterile. They're very susceptible to infection at that age um, when they're when they're preterm. At any age, a newborn is susceptible, but especially when they're preterm. So they wheeled me over to the OR. They didn't have a regular birthing room for me at that time because there was a lot of babies being born, and so I was in triage laboring, which is not private. You have like a little curtain. Some hospitals have a triage room with, you know, you're in your own room, but the hospital I gave birth in did not. And so, you know, you hear everybody around you, everybody hears you. It was just not, not fun, not enjoyable, just all around. So they wheel me to the OR and I pushed. Obviously, it was not a tough pushing experience. She was so tiny. But it did hurt. It still hurt quite a bit. And in fact, it hurt more than my second baby, who was much bigger, oddly enough. And I think that's because when you have a larger baby, more of your nerve endings are stimulated. When most of those nerve endings are being stimulated, it can be a more pleasurable experience than when they're not. So anyway, she popped out. She flew out of there, literally. The doctor almost dropped her. Like, she flew out so fast. And then she cried. It was the teeniest, tiniest, teeniest, tiniest little cry. But she cried. And I just thought, okay, 
I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how this all works. It's not really something most of us look into when we're having a baby. But she was alive. She had the strength to cry. And I would do whatever it took to save her. After she was born, they took her away. They had a a whole team of NICU nurses and doctors in with me while I was pushing. And they all huddled around her and, you know, got her all hooked up to all kinds of IVs and um, breathing apparatuses and all kinds of stuff. I don't know exactly because I wasn't there. I could not see her. I had my husband go with her. And that was it. I'd lost a lot of blood, so I was laying there. They were taking care of me and figuring all that out. And they wheeled me over to a room, which I had to share with another family who had just given birth. Their baby was with them in the room. Heard their baby cry. They were taking care of the baby. They got pictures taken of the baby. But the weird thing was... I was in la-la land. I was like, oh yeah, I just gave birth. Like, it was just like, you know, you get these hormones that can kick in after giving birth that make you feel happy. It doesn't always happen, but it can, even though my experience was not happy. I was not excited about what happened. I was not happy about what happened. I was very angry. I was very afraid. It felt very unfair. I had taken such good care of my body and, you know, my my health was my main concern. My baby's health was my main concern through the whole pregnancy. It just felt unfair. Why did that happen to me? I thought I did everything right. But even though we do everything right, there's so much out of, outside of our control. Even as parents, as our kids grow, we can do everything to by the book. And guess what? The book always changes. Every few years, there's a new parenting technique. There's a new way to talk to your kids. There's a new way to act near your kids. There's just always something new popping up. And all we can do is the best we can do but we don't have a lot of control. And in this situation, I had even less. So because I lost so much blood, I was very, very dizzy. I couldn't sit up. Um, I couldn't stand up. I couldn't walk around without passing out. So they gave me some time I waited, and honestly, I didn't want to go see her. I was terrified. I was too scared. I didn't know what she would look like. Like, would she have see-through skin? Like, I just didn't even know. But finally, a nurse came in, and she said, you have to go see your baby now. I said, okay. So they brought me a wheelchair, 
they wheeled me over to the NICU. They had to walk in, scrub in. So every time I went to see my baby, I had to scrub in. I had to use, you know, the special soap and a scrub brush and a sponge and you scrub your nails, you scrub all the way up to your elbows, you scrub everywhere in between your fingers, your nails, your your any rings you have, like you got to scrub all of that stuff clean because they're so susceptible to infection at that age, like we talked about. And they wheeled me over to her incubator and I saw her. So tiny. So many things attached to her. When they're that little, it's hard for them to find veins for the IVs that they need to survive. And the head has a lot of veins. So there were things sticking out of her head, all over her chest, on her feet. She had little tiny baby sunglasses on because she was very jaundiced, which is uh, a buildup of bilirubin in the blood. It causes yellowing of the skin and can be difficult for the liver. And that's treated with sunlight, so UV lights. So they put little baby sunglasses on her and they had the UV lights on in the incubator. It was all sealed up to keep the temperature safe for her. She had a tube down her throat to help her breathe. It was certainly not the expectation I had of seeing my baby for the first time. And I cried again. I put my hands to my face. Don't touch your face! Oh yeah, I had to go scrubbing again. After the shock of seeing her for the first time, it became normal for her to look that way. And... It became weird to see a full-term baby. Like those babies were ginormous. They were like huge. It didn't even, I didn't even associate a full-term baby with like a newborn. My baby was the newborn. And that's what looked normal to me. And the more I went, the easier it became to see her. The less afraid I became, the more knowledge I acquired about her, her situation, the less afraid I was every single day because I knew that every single day that she survived, her chances of survival went up significantly. Each week your baby is in your belly, the, the chances of survival are exponentially growing. So each week we would... We would just be so excited that we made it that far. I tried my hardest to maintain as much of my expectations as I could. I wanted to breastfeed. That was something I was really excited about trying You cannot breastfeed when they're that little because it's not safe for them to even have any food. It creates a problem with their uh, intestines. And so they are fed intravenously 
instead of through their stomach. So I couldn't feed her, but I pumped. Pumped and pumped and pumped and pumped. Now, I was told to pump every three hours. Unfortunately, newborns do not eat every three hours. Newborns eat typically much more frequently than that, especially during the day. So I had a really hard time. Also, when you lose a lot of blood, it's very difficult to build up your supply. Not impossible, but very difficult because breast milk is made from blood. Had I known this back then, I would have increased my pumping schedule to at least every two hours during the day and maybe three hours at night because that's closer to what a newborn would typically want to eat. And sometimes newborns want to eat like every hour because it helps build up your supply really well. Because milk cannot be made unless milk is removed from the breast. So removing the milk increases your supply. But that's a whole other episode. I also was not allowed to hold her for quite a while. It was like a couple weeks, I think. So all I did every single day for hours and hours and hours would sit there next to her incubator and just look at her. Watch her monitors, look at her, look at back at the monitors, look back at her. And I learned to really recognize her breathing patterns, her heart rate patterns. I got to know my baby. And I say this because of what's coming next in my story. You know your baby better than anybody else. You spend the most time with your baby. You know them best. You know them better than a doctor, than a nurse, than any specialist. You know your baby. One night, she just wasn't breathing the same. Something was off. Something was different. She was having a lot of apnea, which is when they stop breathing for a second. And she wasn't doing that anymore. She had done it when she was first, first born. This was probably close to like a month into her hospital stay. She was in the hospital for a couple of months. So about a month in, I, you know, I had gotten to know her really well. I was there every day as long as I could in the day, even into the night, I would, I would come in in the middle of the night. I was there as much as I could because I was her mother. She was my only baby and I was going to be there. I turned off my phone. I didn't even bring it with me anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't handle any other outside distraction or influence. I was so emotionally raw. I could not handle anything else. So that's all I did. I went to the hospital and I sat there. So one night, like I was saying, I got got distracted. Okay, one night I was sitting there. 
Like, like I said, she wasn't breathing right. She kept stopping breathing. She, she wasn't doing that anymore. And I told the nurse, I'm like, you know, she's having a lot of apnea. Um, something's going on. Oh, no, that's normal for preemies. It's like, okay, well, she's the nurse. She knows. So I went home for the night. I came back in the next morning to find a team of people surrounding her incubator. I mean, I'm saying like eight or nine people in her room around her incubator. And I sat outside that room and I thought, oh my goodness, she's dead. That was my first thought. She didn't make it. That's it. But then I looked at her monitor and she did have a heartbeat. So finally, a doctor came out and said, hey, she's septic. Which means an infection had taken over her body. And she may or may not make it. He said, it's going to be a roller coaster ride, which is what I heard the entire time from the time she was born. Everyone always said, there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. And it was very true. We had days where we'd come in and she'd be breathing perfectly well. And the next day she was really struggling and needed a lot of help. And that kept going back and forth and back and forth. And what a wonderful experience for me as a parent to have that so ex- such extreme highs and lows because it really did set me up for success in the, in the long run as a mother. Because that's what we're all going to experience, no matter our birthing experience, no matter, you know, what our kids are like, what their personality is like, we are all going to experience highs and lows. And riding that wave and just being there is really all it takes. So she was really fighting for her life again. The poor girl never got really a break. She was fighting from the get-go. And this was another test of her strength and of her mental fortitude. And she pulled through. It took a lot of ups and downs, a lot of highs and lows, and it took a lot of time, but she made it through. And after that, she started putting on weight. She was breathing on her own. We were able to try feeding. And everything was leading up to her being released from the hospital. They release babies from the NICU that are preemies based on their weight because they have to be a certain weight to be able to hold a body temperature and they have to be able to breathe either with oxygen or on their own or you have to make sure that they can breathe all the time when they're at home with you. 
So they do what's called a car seat test. They put them in their car seat and they have to stay in there for a certain amount of time and they measure their oxygen levels to make sure that they're breathing okay. So the first test they did, she didn't pass. So we had to wait. We weren't ready yet. And then one day they called me. I was at lunch with my husband and they said, guess what? It's time for her to go home. And I have never been so happy in my whole life. I was so excited. We just, we like left lunch. We went straight to the hospital. Now, mind you, I'm a planner. I like having everything like ready to go and set and all that stuff. And so I had two diaper bags packed. I was like, we got one for your car, one for mine. Like we are ready to go. I had two diaper bags full, chock full of all the stuff I would need. Guess how many diaper bags I brought to the hospital to take her home? That's right, zero. I brought zero diaper bag. I had no clothes for her to wear home. Like, <laughs> it was ridiculous. So I got to the hospital. I was like all excited, like, okay, I'll take her. They're like, well, you know, she she had spit up or something on her other clothes. And so, you know, do you have another outfit? I was like, uh, nope. And they're like, okay. I was like, I'll just bring her home like, in her diaper. Like, I was like, I just got to get her home. Like, I don't care what she's wearing. They're like, well, why don't you go home, get what you need, and come back? So we rushed home and then came back. And I just, I still remember, they they wheel you out. They wheeled me out in a wheelchair because that's what they do for um, for full-term babies. When they're born, they wheel the mom and baby out in a wheelchair. And it was just like a symbolic kind of really cute little thing that they did. So they wheeled me and her out in the wheelchair and we were waving everybody because we knew everyone by that point. We were there all the time. Like, bye, bye. It was so exciting. And it was the best feeling bringing her home. I can't even describe it with words. It felt so nice. And when they're preemies, you have to, you know, track their temperatures and count feedings and diapers and all that stuff very carefully to make sure everything's okay. And, you know, we did have some health issues that needed to be resolved, but they were resolved. And now she is 13 years old. She's almost as tall as me. She's amazing. And although my perfect birthing experience was stolen from me, I can look back on my time in the NICU and find things that I appreciate about that experience and find things that did, in the long run, help me to be a better mom. Do I wish I could have learned those in a better way? Yeah, of course. But I did learn things from that time. And I do appreciate the support I received from the nurses and my family. And it really brought a lot of people together that would not have been brought together otherwise. Was it my favorite experience? Heck no, but there were some good things that came from it also. There were some incredible things that came from that experience that I do appreciate. Okay, hopefully I didn't scare you too much. Hopefully you're feeling okay. 
And let's talk about, I kind of like interspersed some things I wish I'd known, but let's like talk about them all at once now. Like, what do I wish I would have known back then that I know now as a birth coach and postpartum doula and breastfeeding counselor? Like I said, I wish I would have known the signs of preterm labor because there are a lot of signs. So let's go over the signs now. So that way, if you experience any of these, do not foo-foo them away. Do not think, well, it's probably fine. Talk to your care provider immediately. And if you can't get a hold of them and you're feeling like this is really preterm labor, go straight to a hospital with a NICU. You'll have to be at a hospital with a NICU in order to help your baby and save your baby if you're before 37 weeks of pregnancy. Here's the signs. So if you ever experience a change in your vaginal discharge or there's like a a little bit of blood, it's like kind of tinged in there, it's like thicker, um, it's a lot more, it's like a ton of vaginal discharge, you're like, oh, that's a lot. That can be a sign that you've lost your mucus plug. The mucus plug is what kind of seals everything up to make sure baby stays safe and it minimizes the risk of infection. It kind of goes in your cervix and it's like a cork, but it's made of mucus. And so if you have a lot of discharge coming out or more than normal and or it has a little bit of blood or like it's a little pinkish or orangish or even brownish, talk to your care provider right away. If you ever have a lot of pressure um, deep down in your pelvis or it feels like your baby is being pushed down or you're like, you know, it's getting harder to walk or, you know, you just feel pressure down in there inside your pelvis, talk to your care provider right away. If you have a backache or cramping, that kind of comes and goes. It doesn't stop when you change positions. It just is always there regardless of what you're doing, what you're eating, where, how you're sitting. And it, it keeps coming and going, coming and going. Even if it comes and goes every hour or 30 minutes or you know, keep track of how often it's coming. It doesn't have to be frequent for it to be a contraction. Um, Braxton Hicks are kind of feel like contractions, they're little practice contractions, but they are not labor or they will not send you into labor. They will stop if you eat something or if you drink something or if you lay down or you know if you take a bath or a shower, they'll stop. Labor contractions will not stop when you do those things. They'll just keep going. So keep track of how often they're coming, how often you're feeling, you know, those little backaches or or crampy feelings, or diarrhea feelings, any of those types of feelings are typical of starting labor. Time those, make sure that they are not, you know, on any sort of consistent basis. Like I said before, diarrhea can be a symptom of labor starting because your body likes to clear out your bowels before labor starts. So if you have diarrhea and you went and you're still having like crampy feelings, but now you're not going diarrhea anymore, go to the hospital. That's a sign of preterm labor if you're before 37 weeks. 
If you're after 37 weeks, you can pre-labor at home for as long as you feel comfortable. And different rules for different hospitals, it's usually either 411 or 511. So every four minutes, you have a minute-long contraction for one hour. That's when you should go to the hospital after 37 weeks. Before 37 weeks, we want to keep that baby in there. So go to the hospital the second you find out or you feel any of these symptoms that we're talking about. Or talk to your care provider. If, you're, if your belly kind of starts to feel tight and then it kind of relaxes and then in a little while it feels tight and then it kind of relaxes, talk to your care provider right away. It could be Braxton Hicks, but it also could be a contraction. So if you're before 37 weeks, either head straight to the hospital with the NICU or talk to your care provider immediately. Obviously, if your water breaks, that's a sign that your body is going to go into labor. Now, when your water breaks, you are more susceptible to infection and there are other issues that can occur because of that as well. But it is possible to have your water broken and to stay pregnant. I know people who have stayed pregnant for you know months with their water broken. It just depends on your particular situation. So when you talk to your care provider, ask a lot of questions. Make sure that you understand what exactly is going on. Make sure that you know what you need to do to keep your baby safe and that they know what to do to keep your baby safe. Everybody's working together for the highest chance of survival for your baby. When your water breaks, nothing should be inserted into your vagina. Do not pour a tampon. Do not put a finger up there. Do not have sex. Do not do anything up the vagina. Anything that goes up there can introduce infection into, the, into your baby's little cozy space. You don't have to have a cervical check. That is not a requirement. That's just a tool that care providers use to decide how far along you are or get an idea of whether or not you're progressing. So if you go to the hospital because your water broke preterm before 37 weeks and they want to check you, you can say no. That's okay. And that's good. We don't want anything up there that doesn't need to be up there. Talk to your care provider about the necessity of needing a pelvic exam. See if you really, really need one or they just would like to have one. And then you can make that choice with them together. But you don't have to automatically say yes just because they want to do one. There are different medications that can be used to try to delay labor or stop labor. Talk with your care provider about what each of those medications does, what side effects you should expect, so you can make the best choice for your situation. Depending on what health issues you have already in your pregnancy, those medications may or may not be able to be used. But ask a lot of questions. And that can be tough in the moment, especially if you are in preterm labor and it's so scary and you don't know what's coming. Asking questions 
can really make a big difference in your experience and the health and safety of you and your baby. If you're feeling like you're having a lot of pressure, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're not very far along, but you're having a waddle, like it's harder to walk. You feel like baby is very low. Ask your care provider to check your cervix. They can check your cervix with a vaginal ultrasound. So the little wand that they stick up your vagina to, to look, you know, when you're early, early in pregnancy, sometimes they'll use those. Ask them to measure your cervix and see if it's thinning out or if it's dilating. They can see that with an ultrasound. They can see that with a transvaginal ultrasound. If you're 20 weeks and waddling, something is probably not where it should be. That was a warning sign I wish I would have known, but I didn't. I started waddling very, very early in my pregnancy before I was even anything. And I just thought, oh, how cute, I'm waddling. I'm so pregnant. But the baby should have been a lot higher, but my cervix was thinning. I have what they what they called back then incompetent cervix, which, uh, how rude. Now they call it insufficient cervix, which I don't know if that's any better, but it means that your cervix is either very thin naturally or that it thins automatically just by having the baby in there. So if you're feeling like baby's low, super waddly, and you're only, you know, 20, 22, 23, 24 weeks, have them check your cervix and see, just to make sure everything's okay. Because maybe that's just how you're walking, that's fine. But it, it is a sign that there's something going on there. If your cervix is short, they can do what's called a cerclage. And it's a stitch that they put in your cervix. They stitch it up so that way it, it helps it, keeps it from opening as easily. Does that always work? No, nothing in life is 100%. And nothing in medicine is 100%. But it does give you a bigger chance. There are some risks associated with a cerclage when you're already pregnant, like can cause preterm labor, can cause cramping. Obviously, it's not comfortable to do that. They will give you some sort of pain numbing medication. That's going to be given through an injection at your cervix to numb it. So you'll feel a little needle prick, uh, which sucks, but uh, you shouldn't feel anything after that. And then they'll wait a little bit and then they'll give you a little stitch. Once you are 37 weeks, they'll remove the stitch so that way you can go into labor. If you have a cerclage, if you start feeling any signs of labor, you need to go to the hospital right away so they can remove the stitch. Otherwise, you risk damage to your cervix. Also need to look out for signs of infection, any fever, any, you know, foul-smelling discharge, any, you know, if you have a lot of bleeding, like anything like that, obviously call your doctor right away. There's something wrong. <laughs> and while there are some risks, it's successful in about 90% of, of cases who get a cerclage. So it does work. Um, obviously, like we already talked about, nothing is 100%. Um, but if you're knowledgeable on the risks and both ways of getting it and not getting it, and you feel like it's the best chance for you to have a full-term birth, it might be a really good option for you. 
I didn't know about a cerclage when I was pregnant because I didn't know that my cervix was shortened or weakened or incompetent or insufficient or however you want to describe it. I had no idea. I was just like going through the motions. I didn't know that that's something I needed to ask my doctor to look at. And I'm sure some doctors look at that regardless. But like I said, if you're feeling that low baby feeling, have them look at it. And then you can potentially have a cerclage inserted. And you may decide that that's not the right path for you to take. And that's okay. But knowing your options makes such a big difference. So... I'm, I'm glad if you've listened up until this point that I didn't scare you off and that you know some options that you have if you do end up going into preterm labor because it does happen and being prepared is always less scary than being unprepared. Guaranteed. Thanks for joining in. I'd love to hear your feedback on this episode. You can reach me again at Instagram at supported underscore season or supportedseason.com slash contact. I'd love to hear from you guys, your fears, your questions, your concerns, um, whether you hated this episode, whether you love this episode, whether it was helpful, if it wasn't, um, please subscribe so you can Get this information every Wednesday where we help you do the dang thing. Normally I'm joined with my sister Natasha, but like I said, she's out of town. And I'm really glad I had this chance to talk to you guys about my experience and share that with you. I hope it brought you information and comfort and not just fear because I don't like telling pregnant people about my experience because it's not a typical experience, clearly. Uh... And it wasn't a happy one, but I also learned a lot. And now that I'm a, a birth worker, looking back on my experience, I hope to use my experience to help others out there gain the knowledge they need and just to understand what options are available to them in that moment. Because when I was sitting there in the hospital going through preterm labor, I had zero idea of what was happening. And I feel like that made it so much scarier. So I'd love to hear from you. And I hope to see you all next Wednesday. I'm kind of going to do a series on this. Um, that's why I really want to hear your feedback uh, on what I wish I'd known for my birth. My first birth, my second birth, my breastfeeding experiences, all of those things. Now that I'm an expert in the field, what I wish I would have known back then when I wasn't. All right, we'll see you next Wednesday. Bye. Thanks for tuning in.